Well, we've been in a series that's dealing with the subject of how close, what a thin line it is between contentment and discontentment. And the first two messages, we, we showed that there's actually some things that if we're healthy, if we're growing, if we're becoming fully human and fully alive the way that God intended, there's certain things we actually will be discontented with. It's a, it's a sign of health. Uh, first message, we said we, we should not be discontented with this world as it is. There's no way we should. And if we are, it's actually a sign that our soul is kind of deadening and becoming desensitized. We said last week that uh, another thing we should not be contented with is our personal development. Now, some of you may think, well, gee, that would put you feeling bad about yourself all the time. But quite the contrary, it does not. And if you didn't hear the message, check it out and you'll see why. We're kind of turning the corner. And the next two messages are going to be with things that we can and should be contented with and, and contentment in general. So... The more I ponder this thing, the more I've traveled the world and life myself and uh, been around folks of all different kinds, all different kinds of situations, the, the question comes to me, is it, is it really authentic? Is it really, is it really worth talking about human beings being contented? Uh, I mean, you know, where do you really find that? Where do you see the evidence? Do, do, do you see it outside of churches? Do you see it inside of churches? Do you see it in our own souls, in our secret moments? I mean, it, is it just some kind of a fantasy? Is it just foolish? Should we just accept the idea that contentment is something that you're never going to have it in this life in general? Or, or is it something that a real human being in this real world with all of the uncertainties can actually have? General, overarching contentment. Is it possible? And if it is possible... I mean, what, what do you do to get it? I mean, what, what's the pathway? How, how do you get forward? Certainly, all of us would probably want that. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if no matter how we came in here today, no matter what degree of discontent and contentment we had in our life, wouldn't it be a cool thing if we could walk out the door today with certainty that we are on a path that for the rest of our life, if we will stay on the path, that it will actually bring us to a place of increasing contentment. I mean, I'm just curious, how many might be interested in that? See your hands. Okay, and for you that are not, you won't be, dis, you know, you won't be discontented if you don't get it. So. <laughs> so let's try to look at what, what would bring it. I, I mean, the, the formula that seems to be the most popular seems to me, just from observing human nature, seems to me that the formula that most of us try at some point or another is that if I can have what I want, when I want it, how I want it, as much as I want, whenever I want, that's the formula for contentment. And it's not so much that we think it through, but if we were to trace our actions and our reactions, I think that we would find that's the formula. Temporal plenty, in other words, is the, is the key that, that, would, that would bring contentment. For example, I read recently that uh, Steven Spielberg, evidently he enjoys boating, you know, and uh, he, uh, he had, a, had a boat, a modest boat. It was a $184 million boat. <laughs> but as the article said, he outgrew it. Well, who can't understand that? You know, so he evidently felt that he would be more content by getting a $250,000 boat. By the way, they don't call them boats when they're the size. They call them yachatats. Yeah, you ever notice that? It's not phonetically. It's Y-A-C-H-T, yacht. You know, but anyway, it's, I, I'm bothered. I was taught phonics when I was a kid. So evidently he thought that 
um, a $250,000 boat would make him content. Read an article, and you might have come across a story too. I'm not going to get into names or anything yet, but it was a recent big divorce, Hollywood divorce. And um, the partner in the divorce, the female in the divorce, uh, she felt, took it to court, she felt that her needs, her needs were a little bit, just a little bit over a million dollars a month. So I'm like, that, that's probably reasonable. I mean, I think I could get by on that. So, but in her way of thinking, and, and I'm, I want to believe this woman sincere. If you look at the formula in her mind, it's that I can be content if I have a little over a million dollars a month. Spielberg, I can be content with a $250 million yakata, you know, yacht. So, some people seem to think that temporal plenty is the formula. Now, let me give you another example of this. There were some people that got together and they thought that the good old-fashioned toothbrush wasn't quite all that it's cracked up to be. So in 2013, a team of dental hygiene experts, I like that, they're hygiene experts, uh, and design gurus, mind you, gathered in Germany and decided that the modern toothbrush needed a makeover. The resulting product, and there it is, it's just stunning. Um, if you have 3,200 euros, which who cares? We don't know what that means, we don't care, but we do care about the next one. 4,300 US dollars. But this thing, it's full titanium. And I tell you, when I saw this, it's just, like, this just didn't seem the same anymore. You know? I became discontent. <laughs> so I thought about this. And, and may, maybe, maybe it's just this, that we're all different. And we all, you know, we're all so different that the more you have, in other words, if you're really wealthy, if you're really a wealthy person, you need a $250 million yacht, or you need a little over a million per month, or you need, <laughs> you need the platinum titanium toothbrush. Maybe, maybe the more money you have, the more needs you have, and the more it takes for you to be content. Um, maybe that's part of it. Then my mind went to, you know, housing, and, and here's some interesting statistics about housing. 1950, the grand year that I was given birth to, you know, horns sounded and chimes and things. Uh, <laughs> the average home size was 983 square feet. The average apartment today, two-bedroom, three-bedroom apartment is, is about 1,000 square feet, you know, somewhere in there. So, the, but this was a house, the average house in 1950. 983 square feet, and it had 3.37 people. We had one little, we, we kept these little people around in those days. They were on one-third the size of normal people. <laughs> and that's how many lived in it. But by 2009, the average home square footage has ballooned to 2,700, but we've shrunk with the inhabitants. Now we only have two point, we have half inhabitants now, half inhabitants instead of a third inhabitants, but it's only two and a half inhabitants. In 59 years, the American home grew by 175%. It's nearly tripled, if you really look at it. You know, average 1,000 to 3,000 square feet, round numbers off like I do, while the average family size shrunk by 24%. So I, I, guess, I guess what it means is that we're more content we're more content with more living space, right? We are, aren't we? Unless you don't have 2,700 square feet. You see, that, that's the magic formula, evidently. If you have anything under that, you're probably discontent. 
Um, over that, I'm not sure what you feel. That's beyond my ability to comprehend. Let's look at another slide. Gallup, Gallup poll 2012, ranked the United States 33rd in the world on happiness scale. By the way, we're the richest nation in the world by far, but we're 33rd on the happiness scale. In fact, seven of the top countries were in Latin America, which generally ranks low on the typical economic indicators we might associate with happiness. In other words, their poverty, maybe third world, you know, typical lifestyle. Uh, whereas residents of Singapore, which is real high, uh, ranks fifth in the world in terms of GDP per capita, are the least likely to report positive emotions. So, so this sort of throws a monkey wrench into the formula. You know, if temporal plenty brings contentment, well, then this skews everything because it shows that some people, it seems like, that are poorer are actually more content or more happy. So that, that makes it difficult to figure out what is this formula, what is this path, or is it even possible, like I said, for human beings to be content? Let's go to another one. They did a study asking people, in fact, let me ask you, how many of you guys would like to have you don't want a lot more. You don't, you're not greedy. But you would like to have, in all honesty, sincerity, you would like to have just, just 10% more in your paycheck. Can I see your hands? You see, the study was right. They did this study with thousands and thousands of people. And everyone said they, they were not greedy. They just needed about 10% more to be content. And then they found this. Loyola Marymount University professor Christopher Kazor reports, when they do get that 10%, which typically happens over the course of a few years, they want just another 10%, and so on, and so on, ad infinitum. So, it looks like we trick ourselves. We think that temporal plenty, even 10%, you know, I don't want a lot more. I, Randy, I just have modest needs, but I just like a little more. But, but it seems like when we get the little more, we still want a little more <laughs> than the little more that we grasp. So, so maybe, maybe temporal plenty, having what I want, as much as I want, when I want it, how I want it, maybe, maybe that doesn't work. Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm designed, maybe I'm wired in such a way, pre-designed, that that doesn't work, that doesn't bring contentment. Well, let's look at another one. There's a new anxiety called FOMO. I want to say that again so that I'm not accused of being, you know, socially inappropriate or anything like that or politically incorrect. I am saying FOMO, f -f phonetically, it is an F. It is not another letter that I'm using. So if I were to call you a bunch of FOMOs, you would not be offended because you know I am f FOMO. And what it stands for is the fear. Of, ooh, 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 too quick on that trigger. What it stands for, what it stands for is the fear of having your slides go too quickly. <laughs> it's the fear of missing out. And so this indicates that some of us are discontented because we look all around and, and the grass looks greener on the other side. I look at that person and say, they have something I don't have and I wish I had that. And why, can't, why do they get to have it and I don't get to have it? They're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Why don't I get to get what they get? And so I'm always looking on the other side of the fence and consequently I, I'm fear, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out. I've got to grab all the gusto I can. I only go around once in life and all that sort of thing. But I stay discontent perhaps, or some of us do, because we are FOMOs. So... Or, or, or maybe there's another reason we stay discontent. Now we can go to that slide. Just curious, just curious. I asked this in the first service. How many have ever been to Paris? See your hands? Okay, okay, few, few all around. Um, 
did you find it to be as dreamy as you anticipated it to be? <laughs> well, here, here's something. Psychiatrists call it the Paris effect. It simply means the disappointment that many first-time visitors to Paris experience after hyped-up expectations from the media. Visitors expect a place full of romance, beauty, and wealth. Instead, they find pavements peppered with cigarette butts and aggravated commuters in packed metro trains. For some, the shock is too much to bear, prompting them to seek medical help. <laughs> Man, we, uh, we're in trouble, aren't we? <laughs> we when, you, when you need medical help because Paris wasn't all you thought it was going to be, we're in trouble, gang. <laughs> so maybe this gives us something to go on. Maybe the reason we struggle with being content is because maybe our expectations of life, not just Paris, but of life, maybe, maybe they're too high. Maybe they're, they're unrealistic. Maybe we need to really lower our expectations. Maybe that's the key to finding contentment. I, I don't know. Well, let me spend some time now introducing a guy to you, and, and I mentioned him last week, who makes the outrageous claim that sort of gets right in our face he says that he had actually learned the secret to being content in any and every situation. And he pretty much puts it in our face because he says it's something that every one of us that are those that have been reconciled to God, we've come back to Christ our creator and trust, we are his followers, that every single one of us can have. Not only that, he, he's imposing the idea that, that God wants us to have it. So just out of curiosity... If you could blink your eyes, wiggle your nose, you know, like, like they did in that old TV show. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> Trust me, it happened. <laughs> and you could walk out the door today completely content, no matter what is going on in your life. Wouldn't we want that? And I'm going to assume that we're all normal in here today. I'm going to assume that if little screens were to go up and items were to be listed, we'd find all kind of discontent in our lives right now. Some of us, it would be right up the top. We are very discontented with our, our job situation, perhaps our boss, perhaps our co-workers, perhaps the amount of money we're making, perhaps the career we're locked into. Some of us would be, you know, very high on discontent with, let's be honest, with our relationships, maybe with our spouse, maybe with our children, children with parents, whatever it would be. Maybe we'd be very discontented with the way we look, the way we feel about ourselves, maybe our health. I mean, it could be any number of things, but the truth of the matter is, an audience like this, we're all human, we probably have some things we're very discontented with. And, and, and what if, what if you could literally go out of here today, nothing's changed, you still have the same exact set of problems the same exact set of things that you know in an ideal world you'd like to be different but but all of a sudden you're content you accept them and you're actually content i mean wouldn't that be worth it because that's the claim this guy makes Let, let's go to a portion of scripture let's dig in now we're going to move fast and furious let's go to page 1326 there's bibles in here you're on the chair it's a book of, called philippians we were in it last week it was written by a guy named paul the apostle the spirit of god used him to write 13 books in the new testament and we want to explore what he says then we want to we want to ask ourselves well who is this guy to pop off like this does he have any credibility i mean why, why should we listen 
to him. I mean, why, why should we pay attention to this? So let's go to that book of Philippians, chapter 4. And here's Paul. He's writing to a group of Christ followers living in a Greek city called Philippi. He had planted the church there earlier. You can read about what he went through when he planted the church in the book of Acts, chapter 16, sometime on your own. But let's start in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, I have great joy in the Lord. Keep that in mind as we explore more of what his conditions were. He says, I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. Now I know you were concerned before but had no opportunity to do anything. For I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or, what is that next word? Hungry. Have plenty or, what is the word? Nothing. I am able to do all things through the one. Other versions, translations say have Christ overtly there. I am able to do all things through the one, through Christ, who strengthens me. And there it is. He says, there's the secret. I, I mean, if you really shrink it down, Paul is saying that the secret to contentment is not temporal plenty, but rather it's spiritual clarity. He, he's he's, he's kind of just saying, all I need is you, Jesus. That's really all I need. But that's not very helpful either, is it? Because some of us, truth be told, we've put our faith and trust in Christ. We are Christ's followers. We have Jesus we even sing the song, all I need is you, Jesus. But we're still not content. So, so what's going on here? I, I mean, and who is this guy to be popping off like this? Does he have any credibility? Why should we listen to him? Anybody can say I'm content, but, you know, maybe he's had a sweet, soft life. I mean, maybe everything has rolled his way. The ball always bounces his way. Born with a silver spoon and all that kind of thing. Well, let, let's just kind of get a sense of what, what his circumstances were when he wrote this Flip to the first chapter in this book. You're, you're already in the book. Just go to your left until you come to chapter 1 and look at verse 12. And here he is. He starts talking. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel, the message of Christ. Verse 13. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am where? I am where? In the Hilton? Does somebody say the Hilton? What does he say? Prison. How many of you have been to prison? No, I don't want to know. <laughs> the whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. So this guy is writing this letter from prison. You can read about it in Acts 28 uh, in the New Testament. So he's not in great circumstances when he's writing this. But, but let's probe a little more. What, what else can we figure out about his present circumstances? You're in chapter 1. Look at verse 21. He makes this, this big statement. He says, um, for me to live, excuse me, for, me to, for to me living is Christ and dying is what? Gain. He goes on to say, now if I go on living in the body, you can see the uncertainty there. He didn't know if he was going to live or die. If I go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me. Yet I don't know which I prefer, notice, well, I'm not sure what I prefer. Verse 23, I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to what? To what? 
depart. He's talking about death. <laughs> I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is, what does it say? Better by far. Okay, so let's put it together. We're going to play a little detective work here. He's in jail, and he's evidently not sure if he's going to be executed or not. Truth and be told, five years after this, he's arrested again, and he is executed. He has his head cut off by Nero because he, he just wouldn't shut up talking about Jesus and the truth about God, the truth about life. He just wouldn't stop. They finally cut his head off to shut him up. So he's in jail, and yet he's fixated. We talked about this last week on this, this vision. He has an all-sufficient vision for his life. All he wants to do is to become more like Christ, no matter what circumstance he's in. Remember, let's revisit chapter 3 that we dealt with last week just a little bit. Look at verse 13 in chapter 3. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, or this sufficient vision, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And when we read the verses before and after, he's talking about becoming like Christ. And when he says this other thing about the upward call of God, he knew that God had given him a mission. He had a God-given mission. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've made your decision, put your trust in Christ and follow him. You have, I have, a God-given mission. Uh, often, you know, the way I share with people what is our purpose in life, it is to become who I was meant to become and to do what I was meant to do. The do what I was meant to do part, that's my God-given mission. God has given me certain experiences. He's given me certain talents. He's given me certain spiritual gifts. My job is to discover them, develop them, and deploy them in service. You have the same you have a God-given mission. Now, your God-given mission is not going to be like Paul's. Uh, it, it might be that, you know, your God-given mission is, is to pour yourself sacrificially into a marriage, into a family, into, into something else, or into the lives of others in some other way. But you have one. And Paul, this guy who's in jail, who doesn't know if he's going to live or die, he's, he's passionate about becoming more like Christ in the circumstances that he's in and fulfilling his God-given mission. So we say, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, that, that's kind of impressive. He, he was not in good circumstances. But how do I know that the rest of his life wasn't a rollover, you know, just a piece of cake? And so he, he can blow off about this being content stuff because, you know, this is the first bad bump he's had. Well, about six years before he wrote this letter to the Philippians, he wrote a letter to a church in Corinth that he had also planted. So this is six years back in time, and in that particular book, in chapter 11, <laughs> verse 24 through 28, he writes a list of some interesting experiences that he had had since he had become a follower of Christ. And so I just want to share a few of them with you. I don't want to take too much time. Here's what was on the list. In, in verse 24 of 2 Corinthians 11, and you can read this on your own sometime, he said that he had been since... Being a follower of Christ, he had followed Christ at this point for 21 years, and he said in those 20, 21 years, he had been lashed five times. Now, if you read it, it says each time he received 39 lashes. Do you know why they didn't give 40? Anybody? Because they found by experience, people usually die. <laughs> the 40th one, it's kind of like the charm. And so they, give, they gave people 39 lashes, but he had it five times. I, it's beyond my capability to imagine the scarring on the man's back. So, so okay, so he had, he had been given 39 lashes five times. What, what else, Paul? Well, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Uh, you've probably seen these things in some countries of the world. The police will use these kind of long sticks, and they'll, they'll wail on you, man, if you get out of line. You might recall there's some kid in Singapore a few years back 
you know, did some things, broke the law, and they caned him. How many of you remember that? It was, it was big news for a while. And it's not a pleasant deal, man. I mean, they, they lay into you with this thing. He says, oh, severely beaten is what the text actually says, three times with rods. And then he says, and one time I was stoned. And this was the most horrific form of, of killing people in those days. I mean, huge rocks they would just throw down on you. Usually they put you in a pit, and they just kept hitting you in the head and the body everywhere until you finally died. He says, one, one time... They tried to stone me to death. He says, and, and then, by the way, there were, there were three times I was shipwrecked. I'm telling you, I get seasick if it just, just gets a little bit, you know, it just swells like this. Shipwrecked? How many of you know you don't want to go on a boat with this guy if you were living back when he was there? <laughs> He's like the ultimate Jonah. Don't go. It's going to wreck. I'm telling you. I've been with this guy before. Three times. He says, and, and when one of those wrecks occurred, I was a night and day in the open sea. I can't even imagine. We've all seen Jaws. Da, 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 da. A night and a day in the open sea. And this is, this is God's chosen servant of that day. This is the best, the brightest, the most faithful of the day. And all this stuff happened to him. So when he writes in this book... He had learned the secret to be content in any and every situation. How many would agree this dude had a hard life? Can, can I just see hands on that? How many would say his life was way harder than anything I've ever experienced? Okay. And I won't ask you to raise your hands again because I know you're getting tired, but we can go further. We can say, and his life was way harder than anything that you and I will experience. Harder. So this guy has some street credit when he starts saying, he learned the secret to be content. And what it does is it gets right up in my face. It says, Randy, you have, you have no reason to be discontent unless you want to be. It gets right in my face and says, Randy, you can learn to be content if you want to. And if you're not content in any and every situation, Randy, it's just because you're not willing to get onto the path that God has given to you so that you can become that way. I can't get around that. Can't get away from it. So here's a few more verses that kind of reinforce. Because when you really narrow it all down, it all comes back to verse 13. And let me read that again for you so that it's clear. He says, I'm able to do all things through the one or through Christ who strengthens me. So it, it, he says it's, it's not about temporal plenty. It's about spiritual clarity. He simply says, all I need is you, Jesus. That's all I need. But let me unpack this a little bit because, you see, in Jesus, Paul had something I'm calling spiritual clarity. And spiritual clarity is big. It's way bigger than what you might think. You see, spiritual clarity, Paul knew, and you and I are meant to know if we're Christ followers, he knew who he was. He knew that he was the apple of God's eye. He knew that Christ loved him, that Christ was with him, that he would never leave him and forsake him. He knew when he was going through all those things that Christ felt every pain that he felt, that he was right there with him. He knew that he had value and worth. He never had any struggles with self-esteem. No Christian, I'm going to say it, get angry at me, no Christian has to continue to struggle with issues of self-esteem. You say, why, Randy, why? Because Jesus, the creator of the universe, created you in his image. 
That means you have value and worth. And if that isn't enough for you, Jesus came down to this earth and died a sacrificial death for you by name, knowing your full history, knowing my full history. You think you're not valuable? You think you don't have worth? You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to run faster or jump higher. And until you internalize that, you'll go on struggling with your self-esteem struggles, but you don't have to if you have spiritual clarity. Paul knew who he was. Spiritual clarity told him also, he said he knew who he was and he knew why he was here. He was here to grow every day and in every circumstance of his life to become more like Christ. He knew he was destined for that. You're destined for that if you're a Christian. He also knew that he had a God-given mission. And that mission for Paul in particular was to take the message of Christ to the parts of the world that it had never gone before. I don't know what your God-given mission is, but I know you have one. And when you are clear about it and you start living in pursuit and fulfillment of it, well, you might get content too. So, so spiritual clarity, I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know how to live. I know God's word. He shows me in his word how I'm designed to live. I, I have certainty. I have certainty even after death. Paul said, you know, I, I might die. I don't know if they're going to kill me or not. But uh, if, if I do, I know I'll just go and depart and be with the Lord. Scripture says to be absent from the body, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The instant that our physical body dies, we immediately see heaven. We see Christ. We are with the Lord. And so he had that kind of a confidence. So spiritual clarity is a, is a huge part of contentment. And not only that, here's, here's something else you got to factor in. This is really big, really big. He knew how to, each day of his life, and in each circumstance of his life, draw strength from Christ. It is as simple as, all through the day, all through those stressful circumstances, all through the pain, all through the hard times, that we're just able to pour out our hearts to God and oh God you see me you know I'm hurting so bad strengthen me Lord give me wisdom help me to grow in this I I don't want to get angry I don't want to get bitter I don't want to become a whiny victim oh God strengthen me we might have to do that some days multiple times Paul knew how to do that in the book of 2 Corinthians, he starts talking about the battles that he went through in Ephesus. And he says in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I got to the point where I had the sentence of death in myself. I felt like I just couldn't live another day. There was too much pressure. And he says, God allowed me to go through this so that I would learn to depend on him for strength instead of me, the one who ri- raises people from the dead. Listen, some of you, you are in the the thick part, you're in, you're in one of the worst situations you've ever had. You're in that situation in life where you have less than ideal circumstances for an indefinite period of time. In other words, you don't know if it's ever going to end. We don't do well with that as human beings. And so what do you do with that? Well, Paul would say what you have to do is you have to let that pain, you have to let that, that, that gnawing, longing for something that you don't have and that you may never have, you need to let that draw you, propel you, throw you toward Christ multiple times. And, and it can be as simple as just crying out, oh, God, you know, you see where I'm at. You see where I'm at. I do trust you. I know you love me. I know you're with me. But you see where I'm at. Help me. Help me. It is that simple. But it's critical. He did this. He knew how to do this. I got to know how to do this, and you got to know how to do this if we're going to be able to ever say like him, I've learned, I've learned the secret to be content. I don't think the guy was just blowing smoke at all. I think he was the real deal. So certainty, looking to Christ for our complete certainty is a big part of being able to be content. 
There's a great Christian writer, um, Tim Keller, great Christian pastor for that matter too, and he tells a story trying to help Christians understand the uniquely wonderful position that we have in Christ. And he says, supposing that there was a billionaire, and the billionaire in his day, his daily discourse, he, he loses $10. Just curious, how many of you ever lost as much as $10? Yeah, I think the most I ever lost was $40. But I probably lost more than that in other ways. I lost my mind in time or two. But anyway, he says the billionaire loses $10. He says, is the billionaire going to mope around and grieve and lose sleep and be bothered about losing $10? Well, he shouldn't. Of course not. Or she shouldn't. It, it, it would be ridiculous. In fact, the truth of the matter be told, if a billionaire were to lose $10, it would be a waste of their time to bend down and even pick it up and retrieve it because they're accruing so much interest that, that they'd lose money by spending that time. So a billionaire losing $10 should be like, big deal, man. I'll, I'll light up my stove with a $10 bill or whatever, if they had a stove. They probably had somebody lighting things for them. But anyway, <laughs> now, here's where it gets critical. So Keller then applies this to we that are followers of Christ, to Christians. Here's what he says. He says, this week, somebody criticized you. Something you bought or invested in turned out to be less valuable than you thought. Something you wanted to happen didn't go the way you wanted it. These are real losses. But what are you going to do if you're a Christian? Will this setback disrupt your contentment with life? Notice the word. Will this setback disrupt your contentment with life? Will you shake your fist at God and toss and turn at night? If so, I submit that it's because you don't know how truly rich you are. If you're that upset about your status with other people, if you're constantly lashing out at people for hurting your feelings, you might call it a lack of self-control or a lack of self-esteem, and it is, but more fundamentally, you have totally lost touch with your identity as a Christian. You're a spiritual billionaire, and you're wringing your hands over $10. And he's calling $10, whatever that thing is, that aggravated me or you this week and stole our contentment. So Paul says it's about spiritual clarity, not temporal plenty. Do you believe that? I mean, the, the, the guy says, he says, I had nothing and I was content. Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that you could lose everything that's so important and precious to you and you could still find contentment in that? Do you really believe it? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because that's his claim. That's his claim. So looking to Christ for complete certainty is the, the bedrock of this contentment secret that he learned. But there's a little bit more to it. And I want to take us back to chapter 4, verse uh, 12 or 11 and 12 especially because he also tells us that he he was learning through life's complete uncertainty in other words it's because he went through so many ups and downs he went through so many uncertain experiences and he says that, that God in, in essence used these uncertain experiences these undesirable experiences he used them to bring me to the place where I could learn the secret to be content in any and every situation. So let's revisit what he says. Look, look once again in chapter 4, verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. Learn. Notice it's a process. In any, in any circumstance, I have experienced times of need. Stop there. It's easy to just read over that. 
until it's your need. What is your need right now? What is your need? If the window screen on your soul went up, what is your need? Do you desperately need some kind of affirmation from someone that you matter? Do you desperately need respect? Do you de- what is your need? Because Paul said he went through seasons where his need was not met. And that helped him to learn. That helped him to develop. He says, I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. The times of abundance also, there's a learning curve there. You know, how, how, do we, how do we stay humble? How do we stay dependent on God? In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether I go satisfied or, what is the word? Hungry. How many of you have ever been really, really starving hungry? A few of you have. Starving. Come on, Americans. Starving hungry. Let me see the hands again. Okay, okay, a few. <laughs> it's a rarity for us. But he meant it. He says, so, I've been satisfied or hungry, have plenty or, what is that next word? What is it? It's not on my forehead. <laughs> you got to look at this book, man. It's a really cool book. It's called the Bible. It's got, it's got the, the truth about God and the truth about life in it. Uh, look, if you would, at verse 12. Follow with me this time. He says, I've experienced times of need and times of abundance. And in, any, and, and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or, now it's your turn, nothing. I can read that and say, yeah, 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 nothing. You ever been there? <laughs> you ever had nothing? Most of us haven't. Maybe close. You, you see, what Paul was saying is, is that sometimes it, it is these circumstances where we are stripped of everything. Our needs are not being met. We hurt inside every day. Some of you hurt inside every day of your life. What are you going to do with that? You're either going to let that That energy of the hurt propel you into the arms of a a waiting Christ to comfort you and strengthen you and give you just that little bit of energy for one more minute maybe sometimes or one more hour, and whatever it is, until you grow and find strength. So this contentment comes through a process of going through life's ups and downs. It's uncertainties, it's good times, and it's bad times. They actually are part of God's methodology to train us to learn to be content. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 27, verse 1. It says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. This is God just telling us, don't count on what you experience today being what you experience tomorrow. I heard a cute story years ago about this missionary couple. They had spent their whole life on the mission field, just spent their whole life telling other people in foreign lands about Christ. And now they were retired, and they were still working, though, training other young missionaries to go on the field. So there was this young missionary couple spending the weekend with them. And so the first night they were with them, this elderly missionary couple went to them, and they said, listen, um, we're getting ready to go to bed now, but tonight if you have anything that you find need of, you come right down the hallway there and you just knock on our door and you wake us up and we'll help you find out how to do without it. (laughs) You got to catch that. Because a lot of life is learning to do without it. Okay? And that's what Paul was saying. Listen to this one from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Same apostle Paul. This was just a year or two before he would be executed by Nero. He says, now, now look, guys, he says, now godliness combined with, what is the word? What is it? Contentment brings great profit. Why are you saying that, Paul? For we brought nothing into this world, so, and so we, can take, we cannot take a single thing out either. 
But if we have food and shelter, we will be, what is the word? Will we? (laughs) Will we be? (laughs) He's assuming we will. Will we? See, that's a choice we have to make. Um, If we have food and shelter, we will be satisfied with that. And he says, command those who are rich in this world's goods. And notice it's okay to be a, a rich Christian. Just, you know, handle it well. Command those who are rich in this world's goods not to be haughty or proud or arrogant or cocky or to set their hope on riches, which are what? Uncertain. It's not temporal plenty. It's spiritual clarity is the formula for contentment, which are uncertain, but on God, who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. So here's one more reminder that we're somehow to through our connection with Christ, transcend our circumstances. So let me close with a, a story that uh, I, 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 hope, I hope helps to, to make this a little more clear. There's a guy named Paul, Paul Borthwick, and he's kind of a, uh, a renowned missionary expert, trains missionaries and so forth. And he met this young guy uh, up in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts. The guy was going to Harvard at the time, and he graduated from Harvard, had a master's degree, and he was a really bright young man, devoted follower of Christ. And so Paul Borthwick had not seen him for a while, and he bumps into this guy about four to six months after he had graduated from Harvard. And where he bumped into him was at McDonald's, I mean, which is where you always bump into people. Uh, But what shocked him was that his young, brilliant Harvard graduate friend was working at McDonald's. And so they talked a little bit, you know, and, and he said, you know, well, what, you're here at McDonald's. You graduated from Harvard. He says, well, you know, I was out of work for a while, and bills, they just keep it coming, you know, and uh, I couldn't get a job for a while, and so I just had to do something, so I just came here. And so Paul Borthwick, this, you know, missions expert, he, he says, well, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Listen to the reaction. This young man's name was Peter. Peter responds, don't be sorry, he said. God has me here. Harvard graduate, master's degree at McDonald's. God has me here. This place is giving, this place is giving me awesome opportunities to share my faith. I'm on a shift that includes a Buddhist guy from Sri Lanka, a Muslim fellow from Lebanon, and a Hindu lady from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my coworkers while I, while asking, would you like fries with that? Now, let's face it, the guy didn't have temporal plenty, but he sure had spiritual clarity. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He knew where he was going. He was fulfilling his God-given mission. He had a sense of mission and purpose wherever he was at. And this guy, you could hear it, he had contentment. Let me share this statement with you that I think summarizes the whole message. Spiritual clarity, not temporal plenty. And that not temporal plenty, it means the if only. If you're, still, if you're still in the if only, if only I have that, if only I could do this, if I, then you're not getting it. It's about spiritual clarity. All I need is you, Jesus. Spiritual clarity, not temporal plenty, brings contentment. I want to close out a little different. I'm, I'm going to come back to close this out. I want you to sing along with this closing song. You know it, but more importantly, I want you to listen to the words and let them seep deep into your heart. Then I'll come back and I'll close this out. It's inevitable We're all going to walk out those doors We have a choice We have an option 
I'm standing here before you letting you know many, many years back, I've chosen what Paul chose. Can't say I've experienced it perfectly, but I am experiencing it progressively. And I want it all. It's yours, it's mine in Jesus. It's about spiritual clarity. It's not about temporal plenty. So when you walk out and you face whatever you're going to face today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, are you going to be reminding yourself that you can have contentment in your circumstance, in need, in nothing, with plenty or with little and everything in between? It means, folks, we're going to stop being whiners. We're going to stop being complainers. We're going to stop being victims. We're going to stop blame shifting. We're going to stop blaming others and the world and life and our past and our present. And our we're going to just stop. And man, let's, let's lay hold of the riches that are ours in Christ. You've got to be able to have experience with him to live this out. Let's ask him to help us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you know how complex this will be for some of us. You know how deeply rutted in we are. May your spirit just shake us free. And may we be reminded tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, forevermore, that there is contentment in any and every circumstance through you, Lord Jesus. Truth be told, Lord, all we actually need is you. And it's in your name we pray.